0: Welcome to Making It, our weekly podcast on building a great business right here in Egypt, brought to you by Enterprise. This season is sponsored by CIB, the partner of choice for CEOs and leaders of businesses at all stages of their growth stories. And by the United States Agency for International Development, which has a 40-year history of inspiring Egyptian success in partnership with the government and the people of Egypt. USAID promotes an environment where all groups in Egyptian society can lead healthy and productive lives.
1: It's Thursday night, and you've got that weekly football game with your friends. You get to the pitch, set down your bag, pick teams, and kick off. You're scoring, you're intercepting, and you're basically having the game of your life. So imagine if after the match, you could get a detailed report on your individual game. Like how many shots on target you took, what your possession was like, or what rating you would get out of 100. Wouldn't that be cool? It turns out that sort of thing is actually not that far off. Especially if our guest, Ali al the CEO of al FC, follows through. While in school in Boston, Ali attended the sports data conference that got him hooked on the field. A tennis player himself, he started a blog that scrubbed and analyzed data on the Egyptian Premier League and in 2017 that blog became his company. But it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows as Ali soon came to learn. Egyptian teams did not see the service as essential so Ali looked to the outside. A chance encounter on Twitter put Ali in touch with Statsbom, a young UK-based company doing the exact same thing Ali was doing. A business agreement later, Arkham was collecting and analyzing data on European leagues and by 2019 Statsbomb acquired Arkham in a share-swap agreement retaining the team, and Ali leading the data product. With Arkham under its wing, Statsbomb grew into a global player that analyzes 70 football leagues and over 600 games a week from around the world, with some of Europe's fiercest competitors as its customers, including teams from the English Premier League and Germany's Bundesliga. In top-tier clubs today, the data science behind sports analytics is used in every level of a franchise, informing decisions taken by players, agents, coaches, and scouts as well as the organization as a whole. It's even used to optimize seating, parking, and create dynamic pricing for tickets at sporting venues. We explore the lesser-known industry of sports data and the impact of data-driven decisions on the business of sports, and Ali walks us through what it took to build a company in the most niche industry we've yet to host on our show. Here's Ali, speaking to Hashem, our executive editor and co-host of Making It.
2: Let's start with the most important question everyone asks but I hope my grandparents and my father isn't listening to this because
3: I'm a former Ahlewi. Apostate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The Egyptian League um, has has been um, kind of boring for me just because I think there's not enough competition really. And and you know that's that's starting to change with a couple of uh, investments
2: into different com- clubs, etc. But uh, there, is just, there is just no. Um... But it's always been the case, you know. It's just one of those tribal things. It is. Um, I'm a big Arsenal fan, unfortunately. I am an Arsenal fan, unfortunately, too. So I guess my first question uh, is why? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Many, many years, over the course of many disappointing years, I ask myself why. I don't have an answer yet. The answer I give at
3: dinner parties is, is, is I, I saw on replay in, in the Euros in 2000 and, and kind of really liked him. Hey, Eddie, right? It's, it's Audrey. Like, uh, he hustled us. He hustled us. Yeah, but I, th- I, don't, I don't know. That- it's one of those memories where you're not sure you actually had it.
2: Because <laughs> it was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like, yeah. And how long have you been a fan of Arsenal? Oh, two, maybe. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, where did you stand in the winger out, winger in debate? Oh no, definitely definitely a big Wenger fan Definitely a big uh, You were Wenger in? Yeah, yeah, keep him around as long as he wants, man With uh, With everything? Yeah, I think You're worse than me, man I <laughs> thought I was bad Yeah, I still supported the team You supported uh... He
3: definitely needed to modernize Like, Definitely football had moved past him to a degree uh, Some of the fitness stuff and some of the tactical stuff but um, he he had a lot of goodwill, you know, um, in the bank for me. And and the thing I always talk about with coaches is like you're not sure the replacement is going to be better.
2: Well, we learned that with Emery.
3: Yeah, exactly. I was about to say I was about. To say, but Lee, I like Arteta, man. Arteta seems fine. He seems fine. It's 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 too early to tell. From
2: like uh, data. But what date. a beginning, though, right? Like you win the FA, Yani. يعني... يعني, I, I read it somewhere that uh, he did in six months what's, what Spurs failed to do in like 12, 13 years, يعne, which is win a trophy. يعne. Sure. In six sure, months. Yeah. يعne,
3: no, it's been, a, it's been a promising start. So me um, and two of my three co-founders are Arsenal fans. And so it's, it's you know, they're, they're now trash talking in WhatsApp groups and I, I'm already uneasy.
2: Oh, uh, you're this is too soon to be trash talking? It's early days, man. It's early. I think Emery won his first 11 games. That is true. And he did, yeah, he did go on a winning, uh, on a winning streak. Yeah, so I'm, no, I'm, I'm, you know. Cautiously optimistic? Yeah, cautiously optimistic is as best as I'd go at, at the moment. But you know, I'm, I am too. But you know, I won't hesitate to talk shit any chance I get out That's of
3: it. that's. I think that's their approach as well. They're just like they've they've been they've been. Because you never know when so you're wrong. gonna get this <laughs> chance again. <to get>. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? I, exactly. So uh, they're like texting our Liverpool friends, and I'm like, guys, these guys are the are the champs. Like you don't you don't mess with that. And then, yeah.
2: So Ali, Mister Moneyball, CEO and co-founder of Arqam FC, how well do you do in fantasy leagues? So it depends on who you're asking. So if, if we have an internal one with like over
3: 200 people, uh, it's, you know. It's the fan, fantasy
2: like, Premier League, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And it's a ton of like people who all they do for a living is watch football. Um, and so I think my first year was last year and I finished 30th out of 200, which isn't,
2: it isn't, it isn't bad. It's not bad out yeah. of 200, yeah. So who's, so who are these employees, these 30, 29 employees that know the data so well, like off the back of their hands? Well, so it's a, a lot of them are like uh, data entry
3: analysts, like data collectors who, who, whose job it literally is to watch the, the games. And so they, they seem more in touch than I am, um, which, which makes sense, obviously.
2: Do you get respect points as well with that? The yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. it's it's competitive, man. It's competitive. We we do um. So we have we have
3: prizes for the fantasy stuff. We also do like uh, twice a year. We do a football tournament, and um, and unfortunately, I run product, so they put me with the nerds. And and shout out <laughs> shout out to them if, if they're listening, but uh, they put me with the nerds, and I'm not. But saying I'm their not good uh, training
2: football. game uh, needs to be improved.
3: Uh. I'm not a great football player, but like putting me with
2: like the with the management team and the nerds, and we and we we I don't think we've ever made the finals. Either. Bro, you're taking a lot of ills at these community building stuff in your company, man. You're the CEO, <laughs> man. I'm glad at least you don't there, it, you're not an environment where they feel like they need to let the boss win. Oh, no, definitely not. No, we got kicked out out of the field pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> train up, train up, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about the origins of Arqam FC, because this is such a niche, niche, niche profession. The idea kind of started in my head when I was in college, Um,
3: I was a pretty good tennis player growing up um, under 16 um, in Egypt, like semi pro considered even not going to college and trying to tour for a year, but my dad talked me out of it. Um, And then in college, I was I was at Northeastern in Boston studying finance and entrepreneurship. Um, And in my third year, MIT hold a conference every year called Sloan Sports Conference. And it talks about the use of big data in sports. Um, and that same semester, I took a class called the economics of arts and sports. And it talked about all these like funky industries where all the economic rules were kind of thrown out. Um, and, and they were like, a lot of weird pricing stuff and a lot of like cultural industries, right? Like and how hard it is to be like pricing art and pricing sports and that kind of stuff.
2: We actually delve deep into that in like the TAM episode uh, from season one. You should check it out. We talk about how do you price art. But sports is a little more clear cut, right?
3: Yeah, it's it's TV mostly. It's driven by TV. Um, it, is, it is easier to understand like the financial side of it. But I do think culturally, uh, we don't think of it as a business.
2: Maybe in Egypt, but I think sports has kind of evolved into like such a big, big, big multifaceted industry. You have everything from like the media that covers it, the advertising and the gear and merchandising. You have um, what um the video games. Sure, yeah. The yeah, video, yeah, gaming, yeah the FIFA, industry, yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah, like the synergies with other industries is insane. I agree completely. But I think that's been a transition globally
3: even over the last, let's say 20 years, right? And so I think it was my first um, that class in, uh, in college was my first eye-opener, like, hey, this is actually uh, a pretty serious industry. And like a lot of people with very serious degrees work in it, and, and it is its own career path. And then Sloan was great at the conference at MIT because, um, because it's so multi-sport. So I, I went home from that conference and taught myself how to code. And I started this little blog called Teletabont at the time. And I started just building models to predict the Egyptian Premier League. You wanted to see if you can do it? Just because I, I was interested in learning how to code. And yeah. Did you actually predict the Egyptian Premier League results? One of our early breaks was I wrote an article in October of 2015 claiming that Zamelik would win the league. And they hadn't done so in 13 years, I believe. And it was right. four games into the season. Um, and so it was a pretty early call that I got correct. Um, oh, Billy Bean over here. <laughs> probably mostly luck. But, um, but it did help us. I think it, it caused a little bit of, of, of a buzz. And I got to meet a couple of, of people working in actual industry uh, of off that article. Um, you know, some interesting messages from a couple of people, including a company that worked with a couple of coaches, you know, that, that had shown them some of my work and, and, you know, they were interested to talk.
2: So what exactly are the products and services that you provide? Very simply put, we
3: are a sports data company. Our mission is to help drive faster and smarter decision-making in sports to all all stakeholders, whether that's a coach, an analyst, a player. We we combine data, um, a ton of technology, uh, and a lot of domain expertise and education. Um, We analyze that data and turn it into metrics and actionable insights. And then we present that data. And we have two products, two main products that we sell. Um, For sophisticated teams, we sell the raw metrics just in the API format. You subscribe to the data and to the coverage. Um, for slightly less sophisticated teams who don't have a ton of uh, engineering capability, um, we sell um, a product called IQ. Um, okay. And that's essentially a SaaS business intelligence tool. It is a reporting platform where you can make your own reports and, and uh, mine the data for insights and, and ideas. Okay? And we cover 70 leagues. Uh, and so let's say you are, I don't know, you're Arsenal, you're an unnamed club and you you show up and, and you want to take, let's say, um, five leagues. You want to cover five leagues. One of which is the Premier League uh, for your own performance analysis. But let's say you also want to take the Brazilian League because you want to scout them.
2: You cover, you guys cover five leagues? We cover 70 leagues. 70 leagues? Yeah, 70
3: leagues. About oh, wow. 600 games a week. It's 24-7. We have three shifts, uh, morning, uh, morning, night, and overnight. Uh, we are 24-7, almost 365. we like... We cannot control, unfortunately, we can't control, like, I think last Eid was, like, Champions League final or something, you know what I mean?
2: And is it just football leagues or other
3: sports? No, so, so actually, um, that's in the product roadmap. We want to launch a new sport um, in January. Um, I don't believe... You've have...
2: just been doing football for the
3: moment. We've just been doing football, yeah.
2: How do you collect the data? You said you guys watch the games live. We have a a software team that builds tools to help data
3: collectors tag these games. We also have a computer vision department that does a ton of very cool cutting edge stuff about automating some of this data collection and helping us get
2: faster and better quality data. And what do the people do in this operation?
3: So the people, depending on how automated it is, um, you're either acting as a quality control layer over the computer because, you know, models make mistakes too, robots make mistakes too. Or you're actually inputting the data yourself who's your customer we sort of split it up into three verticals right the big one is, is what we call sort of the professional vertical which is teams mostly teams but also like player agencies and anyone really who has skin in the game and making you know monetary decisions to do with with football transfers and wage bills and scouts and all of that um so yeah we have we have 42 clubs on board We have, you know, around a quarter of the Premier League with us, a ton of a ton in in the championship in League One and League Two. Um, We've had success in America and MLS. We've had a couple of a couple of uh, pretty cool clients there as well. And then the second vertical is media. Explain that. So so think of all these things we've been talking about. Uh, They're also interesting for your average fan, right? So um, whether you're watching via BN or BBC or Sky Sports or ESPN, um, you're being talked to much more often nowadays in data, right? Uh, and whether stats,
2: it's, and they, they know how to visualize it more uh, in the news and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And,
3: and this is the thing you see a lot in the space where uh, with clubs and media, it's like, hey, this is cool, but we don't know how to use it. And so uh, a lot of what we do is, is customer education, right? We run, we run courses. You can find them on our website, com. Um, there's an intro to analytics course. I think it's
2: that's super cool.
3: Yeah, we run a ton of courses, even for like
2: federations. So we've done some stuff with the English FA. So they pay you guys to teach them how to absorb and analyze these stats. Definitely, because our analysis team is our rock stars, right? And, and
3: in order for the data to sell, uh, you need a sophisticated consumers who can, uh, one, integrate, you know, understand how to use the API and the technology side of it, but also um, just be able to consume data and, and create reports right
2: and so what's the third vertical the second
3: is media so the third vertical is, is 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 small so far and and it's it's what we call gaming so that's um fantasy um like you talked about earlier about the, our fantasy league right and um and so selling data to to games essentially to fantasy huh. providers to uh, um working with a football manager and and si sports illustrated so the way we conceptualize ourselves is is we are a sports data company and we want to make any person who cares about what happened on the pitch is uh, smarter and better informed. Uh, and, and I could even, you know, I could spend hours talking about how this can even translate to amateur players eventually, right? If we get our costs down to a place where it's tenable to sell to high school coaches and to high school players, suddenly me as Ali, the semi pro professional tennis player who was 16 and didn't know what he needed to do to improve. Um, suddenly he has a statistical profile wow. and he can build off, off top of that and it could be by the way this is a super serious reading of the company but there's also mm. like i played uh i played Khumesi, i played five aside uh with my buddies and i want uh, the number of times i not make them oh my
2: god you you take you collect data for bragging rights <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> just for shits and
3: giggles you know I me mean?
2: What's your highest generating, uh, revenue generating vertical? Teams, definitely. Okay. Yeah, professional. So what else are sports franchises using you for? Is it just purely on the sporting side? Or do you guys uh, work with teams to improve other aspects of their business?
3: Well, so the sporting side is their core business. uh, And so it touches everything else. Um, we've done we've done consulting jobs where we're looking for coaches we've had requests for like uh, training data like in training i want to know who's my best player in training and whether that translates there's a ton of like psychology research about like you know playing playing with fans and we're seeing this with with corona now Um, so we've done some interesting stuff we've even had uh, there's even some like org design work Uh, the thing you you learn very quickly about this industry is uh, there is no set of standard organizational design practices. And so you have, you have um, sort of the Italian teams and their director of football models, and um, you have the English teams with direct investment. And some cultures even have coaches are different to managers. We have customers where our client is just the analyst, who's like the grunt who does a ton of the video work, or our client is the coach, or our client is the director of football, or our client is the owner. And so as an owner, how do I figure out what's the structure here? How do I hire the coach? How do I know if someone's making bad or good decisions? So um, a project that I am not sure we've announced, but, um, but I'll go ahead and talk about anyways, is, for example, um, we're talking to insurance companies to uh, collect data on player injuries. That's a good idea. Yeah, so, so Toki Marine, um, who are...
2: Um, insurance provider, yeah. Yeah,
3: insurance provider. One of the, So we've been talking to them uh, just broadly about figuring out ways to help them augment their data collection with player injury data and, um, and so that's a vertical that's untapped and you know insurance is huge for the, these players. you know Ronaldo's hamstring is probably better insured than um, me and your houses
2: combined crazy yeah that's true but it's interesting man so everywhere you look there's a data point that you can harvest mine and analyze and then resell do you think this is the economic incentive of just how big sports has become it's like everyone is spending money on just trying to figure out that tiniest edge you don't think that's too much money being wasted well uh, it's it's become that competitive
3: what we've seen from more sophisticated sports is like the first step is just identifying undervalued players Right and and going and buying them up and, and so the second step is you know every if if the entire market is smart that edge is gone, and the next step is how do I make my bad players better? Okay, I see. Right, because he's already under contract and I've already spent time coaching him and it, and it's it's easier it's probably cheaper to develop a skill than
2: to buy it. Correct. That's true. Who are you actually competing with today? Is it other data analytics company? Is it in-house club analysts? Who is your biggest threat?
3: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's other companies who do data and, and,
2: and analytics.
3: The bigger teams are going to have in-house people. We're building tools for these people. Uh, these
2: okay. people are, are music to our ears. Um, so they hire you guys to be their in-house analysts or do they have you build the teams? Yeah, even if they have uh, in-house
3: analysis, it's, uh, they build on top of us, right? Okay. It's a platform. You, you, you get access to the API and you build the workflow. And, and you, you, some of our clients have, Uh, Some of our bigger clients um, have like multiple data providers, right? Mm. Um, And their analysis, in-house analysis, gets to uh, merge them together and compare and contrast them and and
2: that sort of stuff. And uh, one of the interesting things is like, so you know clubs in Europe, different structure. The UK is privatized uh, clubs, Spain is association. Um, I'm curious which league generates your biggest revenue?
3: um definitely definitely as a country definitely england i believe
2: and do you think th- their privatized model has something to do with it or is it just because the premier league has the biggest uh, broadcast revenue out of all of them that, that sounds like
3: a that sounds like a question we were just discussing in our board meeting to be honest really yeah yeah because um you know we haven't had as much success in italy and spain essentially um and then something we're talking about um some of it is language. We talked a little about, about this, you know. Uh, Spanish coaches uh, speak Spanish, and they're the best Spanish and Italian coaches are the best coaches in the world, right? Objectively, from a, like, even from a data perspective, right? They're, they're, like, you have like 60 Spanish coaches across the world. That's ridiculous. Um, and so when you have a strong coaching culture, you can be a little reticent or a little bit skeptical of data in the beginning. I would rank the countries as England is, is the most uh, data-driven. Uh, France comes second, um, for, I'm, I'm ranking obviously the big five here. Right. Um, Germany comes third, I think Italy comes fourth, and then Spain comes last.
0: it It is brought to you in association with USAID. For 40 years, the American people, through USAID, have invested over 30 billion dollars to inspire Egyptian success in partnership with the government and the people of Egypt. USAID promotes an environment where all groups in Egyptian society can lead healthy and productive lives.
2: I want to take it back to your growth story, right? Like, so how did you go from attempting to get into a room with Egyptian clubs to actually having the biggest clubs in the world be your clients? We
3: were initially like sort of like local focused and and that was like the... It was a combination of like we didn't know any better, and and football is super insular, right? Like it's it's hard to sell into.
2: Um, right, you can't get into a room with like the chairman of El Ahly, Masar. You really can't, uh, even 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 abroad as well. This isn't a a, a MENA
3: problem. Um, right, it's it's a sort of an industry
2: accessibility, that,
3: yeah, definitely. Yeah, that has its insiders,
2: right? Where Egyptian comp- uh, c- clubs and coaches just other than you know accessibility, like. Is this something that they didn't see as worthwhile? No, other than accessibility, I would say our second biggest problem was just the price point. So they, they thought it was
3: worthwhile, but they thought it was a nice to have. And when it's a nice to have, it's, you can't really price, um, you know, at sustainable levels. So they didn't see it as essential, you mean? Exactly, exactly. Okay. We didn't know it at the time, but but this our idea of being end-to-end in full value chain and controlling the data was the correct idea. And um, our data collection center and our data collection know-how was valuable, but just we couldn't translate that value into real monetary value. And so you combine that with some initiative on my end and some luck as to like getting to know people over cold emails and getting to know people over Twitter and um, led to us sort of having conversations with people who were much more tapped into the space and they could see very clearly and very quickly um, our value to the global space right and so we started off as a client supplier relationship with statsbomb and uh, it went so well that very quickly uh, they asked for exclusivity and and we ended up ironing out a, a deal together and, and merging both companies or essentially technically they acquired us but like essentially we, we were one company why did you agree to a buyout well so so for me it wasn't it wasn't a buyout right so we did we did uh we did a share swap okay uh, we, have, we have skin in the game um on the UK level, and it was just a it was just a natural uh, marriage, right? So first of all, we had worked together for six months, and culturally we got along quite well. Um, we shared very similar visions as to like where we end, where we could see this in five, ten, fifteen years. And then um, on a business level, all the fundamentals made a ton of sense, right? So we have this uh, data collection center that's um, relatively low cost and has a ton of expertise tech and product live between the UK and Egypt. Right. And then sales lives in Europe because that's where the money is. And for us to be able to scale a, a sales organization in Europe would have one cost us a ton of money that we'd need to fundraise for. We, we found partners that we thought uh, were the right guys and were going to succeed. And they already had some traction. Um, they were a pretty young company. So they, they were- And partnered. they had,
2: but they already had an in with the European teams, correct? So off of-
3: some of their early employees all worked in football, including Ted, our, our CEO and founder. Um, and so they, yeah, had a contact list, and they already had, um, I believe, Paris Saint-Germain as clients. Okay. Um, they had like two clients, one of which was PSG.
2: Give our listeners an idea about what it was like before data science kind of came in.
3: I mean, we haven't uh, taken taken over everywhere, right? Um, but it's only the leagues that
2: no one really watches. Like.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean you will still, there's still, I'm not going to name names here, just not to piss uh, potential clients off, but there are still some dumb teams out there, man. Yep. Um, and and look, I've seen early days, I've seen millions of dollars of transfer budget being spent because a coach of the new team knows the coach of the old team, and he got a good reference point. And like, you shouldn't, as a, as a billion dollar, multi-million dollar organization, you should not be making decisions worth tens of millions of dollars based on a coach recommendation, right? You need, you need to have better due diligence. That coach, so something I talk about a lot about is the average span of even the best coaches is four years. So if you outsource your decision-making to them as an organization, you, you're, you're, your incentives aren't aligned. You're trying to build a team for 15 years, and he's, he knows he's gone within four or five years, right. you know? And, and so um, just just on an organizational level, you need to have checks and balances. Um, Something we talk a lot about is like analytics can help you even instead of say yes, say no. What, what does that mean? So it's like it's an inverse situation where um, analytics can say, don't buy that player. Not, not who to buy. Right. It doesn't tell you who to buy. It just tells you that's a bad, that's a bad sign.
2: Um, how essential now would you say your service to professional teams in general? Like at this point, can you as any team compete? Regardless of league, regardless of country, regardless of that, can you compete without data analytics to inform? No, them?
3: no. You again. You you definitely can't compete because um, there's going to be someone with a uh, with the same money you have but smarter, right? Mm. Let, let's take Liverpool as an example, and I think they're a great example for the sport. Um, their wage bill is has been you know their spending has been half of what their rivals have, and they have the best team in Europe, right? Um, that, that's not a coincidence, and if they have. The thing about them that's so impressive is they have buy-in on every level, like ownership, scouting, coaching, players. Um, Every single level is
2: bought into this is the way we do stuff. right? Right, right, right. We're at a point right now where no team can really compete without data analytics. When would you say this turning point happened?
3: So I think you identified the first tipping point, right, which is TV money. Right. When there are huge incentives, suddenly you become smarter. Right. You have to. Um, the second tipping point I would say is um, just access to video. Right. Like right. we talked a little bit about democratizing video. Like back in the day, you couldn't find the Brazilian league anywhere to scout. Like where, where are you going to watch that? Right. So satellites and access to video uh, driven by that money. And then the third, the third, I think it needed a couple of innovators. It needed uh, some breaks. It needed even some pop culture references, right? So Billy Bean and the Oakland Athletics in the early 2000s with baseball. Right. Um, Daryl Morey and um, and the Houston Rockets with some of the basketball stuff. Even though they haven't, you know, won one, um, they've done some innovative stuff and pushed it
2: forward. Did football import this, or did this just like happen throughout all sports around the same time? Well, it's both. You get ownership groups that have. So again, the
3: Liverpool example is the simple one, you know, they own the Red Sox. Um, so they've known this works to a large degree for about 15 years now, right?
2: That's interesting, that's right. I didn't even make the connection, yeah. Is this something lower teams or teams from, let's say Africa, uh, clubs from Africa can bring about? Um, we have, we, we just hired um, our first sales rep in the region. In Mina. So we're excited. Yeah, yeah. So you guys, are you guys thinking of coming back to Egypt?
3: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Our vision for this is, is kind of big in the sense that I, I want every single, like,
2: <laughs> I want them to have data. That's crazy, man. Can you imagine like a a pickup football game for share like having the you put your phone down and records it it's and there's all you an need app is
3: video and video has been democratized like your your average iPhone is better than uh, some of the camera stuff we get in League two and so uh, video is being democratized and and that's the the first step to the to of the pipeline
2: right so if we can agree that data science has become essential, did this stand the test of COVID? Initially, we were kind of pessimistic. We were like, you know, um, unsure of if
3: culturally we were a necessity yet, right? But we've had a great summer and, and, you know, it's actually flipped around. Uh, Scouts can't travel anymore. Every single CFO is looking at the budget and saying, what can we cut? And uh, it's easier for us to justify our existence compared to scouts. It is an indirect competition. We we try to make them more productive. Like your average scout, so because we get this a lot, right? And and, like talking about like, tech taking over jobs, et cetera. Um, your average scout spends 20 of his 50 hours cutting video, for example. Like we can automate that using data. Hey, I want all Muhammad Salah's right-footed passes. So you're a tool to help a scout? Yeah, the data will find that. It'll cut the video for you, and then you can, you can do more high-value high work, more creative work.
2: Are you thinking, you, you were saying that you were thinking of making an expansion back to Egypt? Yeah, yeah what what opportunity do you see here i think there has been a ton of there's been uh, trends to
3: privatization in in a uh, in the country in yeah the sports act uh um... sports act and then there's some there's some cool stuff going on um with the government uh there and um look man there's talent there's there's just there's just a ton of talent um very few country, countries are 100 million people who play street football and we are one of those countries
2: and, um, but you don't make the money from the street football people. You make the money from the, uh, from the clubs, right? Well, my point is, if, there is, if there's five more Mosulovs
3: or five more even whatever, Trezeguet, who's like a, a good professional in the Premier League, a good average Premier League player. I think with the privatization, with, with the amount of talent that's here, um, there's money. There's money to be had. And, and as our cost drops down. Um, and, then, and then the Egyptian League is a natural transition to the Gulf. You know, there's money in the Gulf, and there's ownership, uh, even on ownership level. Um, we saw the Saudis trying to buy uh, Newcastle uh, a couple of months ago. Yep. Um, obviously, Abu Dhabi Group own City, and uh, the Qataris with with Paris. Paris
2: Saint Germain. Yeah,
3: it's perfect timing for us. It's um, they're they're starting to take this like I said it, when it's when it's privatized it becomes a business and uh, suddenly you have real incentives and shareholders.
2: So do you need privatization for a club to actually or for a league to actually rise? Privatization is often a, is often like a synonym for like uh, uh,
3: good incentive schemes, right? Right or or good. Um, you know org good structures good uh, sort of like league structures league design rules uh, commercial commercial savviness right now is it necessary to be private no but does does being private probably lead to some of these things Um, I would I would argue yes
2: you think so yeah because the way I see it like when we were talking about the history of the emergence of like football globally, like we were talking about how broadcast rights and broadcast revenues was what kicked it off. Um, as far as I can see, yes, Egypt has a hundred million people, hundred million fans, and you can energize that fan base uh and viewership and uh well you can't do match attendance now with corona but like if you let's say an Egyptian, a privatized egyptian club buys a very known player masan from brazil and brings him to egypt and they play really well and you energize that fan base you're still missing that broadcast revenue right it's the it's the bread and butter of the entire sports industry so my question is is privatization enough or does something need to happen on that end it's not enough.
3: It's not enough. I think you need... Well, well, the first step is competency. Like put your product is on the pitch. Put a good product out there. Get the talent there and, and the rest kind of slowly
2: follows. Yeah. Right. I want to shift gears, and talk about data science as a whole. So first, let me ask you, when you were starting off here and your operations here, how hard is it to source talent here?
3: I would say technical talent in Egypt is a, is a, is a challenge for us. It's one of consistently been a challenge for us. Um, tech data science which which data science falls under is the most global the most easy job to sort of have if you want to leave the country right it's the it's the most mobile job in the world and so uh, a lot of times we're competing against the global marketplace now the flip side is we can also hire anywhere in the globe
2: tech talent moving to uh, to sweden and stuff like that trying to leave egypt Yeah, yeah, yeah
3: yeah our earliest um head of technology moved to Denmark three months in, yeah. How have you guys adapted to that though? Well, so two things. Obviously we're lucky our revenue is is in Europe, right? And so we've started to conceptualize ourselves as a a global company and we've adjusted pay um, to look closer to European marketplace. Um, And the flip side is, you know, you can use this to your advantage as a company. Uh, Too many people think of Egypt as like a low cost center. to do business. Like, hey, I'm trying to find undervalued talent. This, the problem with that is um, eventually, and very, very quickly, the people realize their value, right? And you can't bank on finding these people forever.
2: My best friend works at a large bank in the UK and kind of just kind of like developed an interest in data analytics and data science and learned basic rudimentary code and kind of taught himself how to build systems that automate the, how to process data that is now being used in the bank. So my question is, is data science one of those things that you can upskill?
3: Oh, definitely. So training, training is a huge component of, of, of the answer, right? Which is it's at the end of the day, if you can't find talent, you have to make
2: talent. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing data analytics companies here in Egypt? Is it the regulation, the infrastructure, the tech, or the talent? Or all of the above? It's a bad day to ask me about infrastructure because I think we've had some uh, some throughput issues at the office. Um,
3: so I can talk about infrastructure.
2: Ma'adi, <laughs> Andi, you know, uh, yeah, look, at home, top you know. We have three like, lease yeah. lines and six different Wi Fi providers. And, right. um,
3: and look, at some point, at some point, uh, data collection becomes about. Uh, latency.
2: Right. So we're coming up to the end of the interview. Tell us what's next for Arqam and stats bomb.
3: Yeah, I think um, multi-sports. Multi-sports is something I'm passionate about. Um, there's a ton you can learn about different
2: sports. And, and
3: once, you, once you become multi-sport, you, you, I think your, your ability to analyze data becomes better um and just contextualize data. because
2: you uh, look at the different physiological factors of different sports yeah
3: yeah so i was watching the the nba playoffs last night and and i i, I took away a no- full page of notes about like stuff the commentators say in basketball that we can test in football video video tools um at the end of the day the player cares about video right you're not going to show a player mm. uh, uh, a spreadsheet or a api or uh, a data table
2: uh, you're going to show him a video and tell him what you could have done better, and so leveraging our data. So, so data visualization is g- developing. That is key, yeah. Huh? Yeah. So, so we're right now in our uh, um, development of data visualization.
3: We're still mostly at static images, but once we integrate that with video, I think that's a big step forward. Um, and then continued automation. Um, automation drives down costs and it starts to unlock. Um, you know the prosumer market, the you know the the low end market, the Heliopolis, uh, high schools, middle schools,
2: and suddenly, um, and suddenly you're everywhere. I wanted to ask you what data points are coaches now in top leagues neglecting? Um, that's a great question. So something we talk a lot about is a set pieces are super undervalued.
3: Um, so the average professional athlete spends like maybe half hour a week on set pieces. Um, so maybe like 2% of their training time is on set pieces. You know it's going to happen and you can prepare much better for it. Like Liverpool, over the last three years, um, a lot of their success is that first goal is a corner. You know what I mean? Right. And um, and that's that's definitely super undervalued.
2: One of the joys of this interview for me is that you're clearly someone who loves his job. Someone who has one of the few people that have turned something that he did for seven years as a hobby into a way to make money in the most interesting way possible. Mabruk, hats off to you. Let me ask you this last question. Do you still enjoy football games?
3: Less less than I used to, definitely. Um, I watch less football than people think I do. I mean, last in the last 12 months, as um, the generation I grew up with is retiring, like with Messi and Cristiano and and the the i think those are my last uh my last connections to like the my childhood and and the sport right um so i think once those retire like i think when it's the same with nadal for me when nadal retires i don't know if i'm gonna watch tennis for a bit um yeah and so and so it's definitely it's definitely one of those that's your, your relationship with the with the sport changes definitely
2: all right ali this has been a real pleasure thank you so much
3: yeah definitely definitely
0: If you enjoyed this week's episode, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows. Making It is produced by Enterprise, your morning briefing on business, finance, and economics. Subscribe today for free at enterprise.press. This season is brought to you by CIB and USAID.